You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I hope you had a great Christmas. I actually stayed in Los Angeles uh, because I travel so much during the year, so it's kind of nice to just stay put and not travel during the holiday season. And so it was really nice to just be here and uh, had a very small kind of gathering and it was nice. So I hope you had a nice one too. And also just a reminder, we're on Patreon and there's a link below. You can help support the show. We're well, one of the plans that we we have for the new year is to have all of the episodes in podcast form. So they'll be on Spotify, on iTunes, and all basically all podcast platforms. So you can listen to the show while you're running or in the car or wherever. So it'll it'll just make it easier to listen to the show. And so your support is is so helpful, and I really thank you guys for for supporting the show. It's very, very, um, it's very helpful. So today I want to talk about an article, a recent article in the New York Times, which is, is shocking, but it's not shocking that they wrote this because the New York Times is, you know, it's supposed to be the, the, uh, newspaper of record, the paper of record, but it's actually the paper of unrighteousness, um, and so the the great the old great lady, the great lady. So the this article now, and when when the New York Times does an obituary, it's I mean almost I, I think a hundred percent of the time, if they do an obituary on a person, it's celebrating that person. And so, um, usually the obituary, if it's above the fold, it's a very very famous you know person or politician. And if it's below the fold, maybe it's a less famous person, but they're they're still celebrating that person's life. It's kind of like uh, a secular humanist fantasy to be in an obituary in the New York Times after they die. <laughs> it's kind of like their idea of leaving some sort of legacy or like their life was worth living if they made it in the New York Times. It's this weird kind of unwritten thing that nobody really talks about, but it's this it's this thing. Uh, in certain circles, people know that. And so anyway, I was surprised when I looked, saw this article and the title of the article, the, the obituary, which was, it was a big section on below the fold. It was, uh, it was a very big section in the New York times. And the title is Wakefield pool. Wakefield pool is a person, a guy Wakefield, Wakefield pool pioneer in gay pornography dies at 85. So immediately I saw that and I was like, Oh my goodness. Like, <laughs> of course, I know what this article is going to do, and I know how it's going to celebrate this man's life, this gay pornographer's life. And so I was interested to, to read the rest, and I'm going to go through it with you. And I want to go through it. There's some graphic 
kind of moments in it. So if, if you're sensitive to that, you may not want to, to listen, but, or watch, but I, and then I want to talk about kind of the responses as, as Christians, we should have to this kind of thing. So, so the title is Wakefield, Wakefield pool pioneer in gay pornography dies at 85. And then the, the subtitle is he gave up a dance career to create a crossover and now classic hit film in 1971 that had both gay and straight audiences and celebrities lining up to see it. And so the article is by Alex Vadukol. And he... So it begins like this. He says, uh, one night in, in the early 1970s, a dancer and budding filmmaker named Wakefield Poole went to see a gay porn flick called, quote, Highway Hustler at a rundown theater in Times Square with his friends. As he settled into the tattered seat, he prepared to spend the next 45 minutes or so enjoyably aroused. So what is that? I mean, that's just crazy. Enjoyably aroused. It's just like they're already celebrating this kind of this sensuality and lust and and just depravity. So he goes on, the writer goes on. But as the film rolled, he experienced nothing of the kind. He thought that the movie was sleazy, that its sex scenes were unnecessarily degrading. And so he, he goes on to say, so Wakefield Poole says, I said to my friend, this is the worst, ugliest movie I've ever seen. Quote, somebody ought to be able to do something better. And so Wakefield Poole decides that he's going to make a gay porn film. And so it's, it goes on to say, the article says, the, the Stonewall Uprising in Greenwich Village had occurred two years earlier. Remember, the Stonewall Inn is a gay bar in New York. And uh, it was raided in 1969 by the police, and there was there were riots because uh, gay men were arrested, and that's what sparked um, the gay movement. 1969, June, and that's why Gay Pride is in June, the month the month of June. I think it was June 28th when it was raided. But um, so he's talking about the Stonewall uprising in, in Greenwich Village. It had occurred two years earlier. And Mr. Poole, like countless gay men of his generation, was empowered in its aftermath. So the Stonewall and all the kind of the riots and the marches after that, because the marches started in 1970 in June, and those were kind of the first gay, they weren't called parades back then, they were called just marches. They were more political and more like protests. And so this empowered this guy, uh, Wakefield Poole. And he says, it goes on to say, what he had witnessed on screen that night in the gay porn he went to see, <laughs> what he had witnessed on screen that night didn't resemble the sexual liberation he was experiencing as a proud gay man in New York. So you can already see in this article that we haven't even gotten through the first you know, quarter of the article. And you can see how much the New York Times and this writer is already celebrating uh, not only homosexual behavior, but gay porn. So, and again, it, it says, you know, 
he used the word sexual liberation. I've talked about this on the show before, but when I lived as a gay man for so many years, I mean, since, since high school, I was already kind of engaging in, in homosexual behavior, but you know, I lived as a gay man up until my, my early, when was it? My early forties. And, uh, again, I felt like I was sexually liberated. I felt like all my friends were sexually liberated in Los Angeles and in New York. My, I had friends, you know, lots, tons of friends in New York, boyfriends in New York, boyfriends in LA. And, but I did, you know, after I got saved 12 years ago, I understood immediately that I was in sexual bondage. That was not liberation. It was bondage. So my view on sexuality immediately changed. Obviously, you know this. I wrote a book about it called A Change of Affection. So anyway, so the article goes on to say, so he was emboldened. And then by by all of this, he was emboldened by the, the Stonewall in Uprising and the Stonewall riots. And so he armed himself with a 16 millimeter Bolex camera, like a film camera. And he decided to make, he decided to do something about it. He headed out to the, to Fire Island Pines, the secluded summer Eden for gay men just off Long Island. And there began filming experimental movies with his friends, capturing them, making love on beaches and in shady groves. So, I mean, he uses that word making love. It's, there's no making love to that. By the way, so Fire Island, I've been to Fire Island. It's kind of a gay mecca. It's on, off of Long Island. And there's two kind of main areas. There's Cherry Grove and the Pines. And in between the, the chair, in between Cherry Grove and the Pines is this kind of, uh, this area, this wooded area with like these kind of wooden sidewalks. And even I was stunned by this. I I remember walking from Cherry Grove to the Pines and there were literally men everywhere in like bushes having sex, (laughs) just like out in the open during the day. I mean, this was like during the day and it's a, it's at night as well, but, um, I just remember like seeing a guy jump out at me and I was like, whoa, like it was, it was shocking. So Fire Island is, is, uh, it's, it's been basically a gay resort since, uh, the early fifties when, um, so yeah. And then men, you know, it's, it, it was this place kind of where men could have sort of anonymous sex with multiple partners in sort of like this open wooded area or in this wooded area. And so, um, that's in, in that area is called the meat rack. So the, the, the area between the pines and cherry grove is called the meat rack for a very specific reason, because that's where men have sex. And so, and I, you know, I, 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 Fire Island to me was always kind of gross. Like I never, I went there because my friend <laughs> wanted me to go with him and I just felt like it was just way too much. Uh, but anyway, that's what Fire Island is. And, um, and so it, it, the article goes on and he said, 
And he did so with an auteur's touch. An auteur is like a filmmaker who is does everything, kind of controls the whole film instead of like a studio film. It's like an independent film, like kind of Ingmar Bergman is an auteur and uh, even Woody Allen is an auteur. So it says he did he he made this film with an auteur's touch, striving to portray artistic realism and the male intimacy he was documenting. And again, these euphemisms in this article, it's just like male intimacy, making love. I mean, it's just like that it's they're just euphemisms for having sex. Like that's what it is. And so it goes on to say Mr. Poole soon made a feature-length film called Boys in the Sand. And the reason he called it Boys in the Sand, it was kind of a, a spoof off of the play, the very, you know, legendary play called Boys in the Band. And Boys in the Band was a groundbreaking play in 1968. And there was also a film adaptation of it in 1970. And it's all about gay men in New York and it's a very I've I've seen Boys in the Band many many times. It's it's a well don't watch it it's crazy but um and so he released this film called Boys in the Sand this gay porn film of guys having sex on Fire Island out on the beach and he was hailed as a pioneer of gay porn. And the film became a crossover hit that changed attitudes about pornography among both gay and straight audiences that lined up to see it. So again, not only is this article celebrating homosexual behavior, celebrating random hookups in Fire Island, but it's also celebrating pornography and uh, how pornography was was getting uh, you know making traction not only in in the gay world but in straight in the straight straight world as well so the author of this the writer of this article is very excited about that and then the 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 article goes on to say when boys in the sand open at the now gone 55th street playhouse in manhattan it became the talk of the town the sex it portrayed between adonic men like Adonis, Adonic men frolicking in the pines came across to viewers as blissful and guilt-free. Soon celebrities like Liza Minnelli, Rudolf Nureyev, and Halston were also lining up to see it. So again, just this idea that this kind of sex was guilt-free. And I have to make a comment about that because... Um, it's again, this is kind of a Romans one thing. It's even when I was living that life and I thought I, it was guilt-free, it wasn't because I felt, I think deep, deep down to the core of my being, I, I felt guilty, but the more and more I suppress the truth, like in Romans one, the less I, that that guilt kind of manifested itself in my mind or in my consciousness and so, uh, so basically this, he, the, the, the writer is celebrating the idea that, that gay pornography is becoming guilt-free because of this film, which is even a lie because it's not guilt-free. There's always guilt involved, um, whether you feel it or not. So 
it goes on to say, so Miss, Mr. Poole says, quote, I wanted to, I wanted a film that gay people could look at and say, quote, I don't mind being gay. It's beautiful to see those people do what they're doing. And again, there's another euphemism, do what they're doing. What are they doing? They're having sex. So, uh, and you know, I, I don't know if I've talked about this before, but I may have mentioned it, but, um, you know, in the gay world in the gay, especially with gay men, this is kind of exclusive to gay men. The glue that holds that tribe together. And believe me, I lived in that world for so long. As I said, the glue that holds it together. See in the Christian world, the glue that holds us together is our bond in Christ. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's that's what binds us. But what binds gay men together are three things. And I know this may sound harsh, but it's it's true, and it's my experience for 20 years. What binds gay men together is number one, sex, number two, alcohol, and number three, drugs. That's why gay bars are such a a it's like the temple, the church of gay men. And that, you know, when I lived that life, that was where, that was our church. I would go to gay bars all the time. And that's where you felt this communal sense of, uh, this community. And it was like going to community group, but instead of reading the Bible and praying and talking and worshiping and singing worship songs, it's picking up guys, you know, hookups, sex, drugs, and alcohol. Those were the three things that went on and still goes on. Um, and so there's this kind of myth out there that, you know, that gay men are sort of this virtuous clan of people, but it's, it's not the case. Like (laughs) it's not, that's not the case. The media loves to portray, you know, gay men as like these virtuous kind of almost, um, these like special class of people who, who understand reality more than most people. And it's like, no, no, it's just sex, alcohol, and drugs, sex, drugs, and alcohol. Um, you know, and there obviously are exceptions to that, but as, as a rule, as a general rule, that's what I experienced my whole adult life in that world. It was a very dark world. Um, the magazine Variety, which is the Hollywood magazine, reviewed the this this gay porn, and uh, it was a rare instance of critical critical coverage of hardcore gay pornography by a mainstream publication. So, um, and then the article goes on to say that. Uh, Mr. He, he, he did an interview in 2014, Wakefield pool did an interview with, uh, some gay news, uh, magazine or news, newspaper. And he said, just seeing my name of, above the title on a theater made its impact. Hundreds of people saw boys in the sand and came out after seeing the film. So again, this is kind of, you know, this article and this obituary is celebrating, the idea that gay pornography helped gay men come out and uh, be quote unquote their true selves, 
which is a lie and which I, again, I thought I was being my true self, but it was a lie and it was my false self. My true self is in Christ. And, um, and then the article goes on to say the year after boys in the sand appeared, the landmark film deep throat was released, commencing a golden age. Now I I can't, I don't make this stuff up. This is, (laughs) this is in print. Commencing a golden age of American pornography. I don't even know what to say to that. I mean, I, I, I'm not even going to comment on that because there's nothing to say. It's just so beyond the pale. And then um, Michael Musto. Michael Musto is a gay man in New York, and he's he wrote for The Village Voice. He's been writing for the... I don't even know. I think he's still alive, but he's been writing for The Village Voice since like the 60s or 70s. He's, I don't know how he's still alive. But Michael Musto said, Wakefield was determined to elevate gay po- the gay porn g- genre. This was a time when you had to leave your home to see pornography. It was a communal experience by necessity, and you had to be seen in your seat. He removed the shame of it. So once again... Michael Musto in this 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 article is is claiming that you know th- this gay porn this kind of new gay porn film by Wakefield Pool removed the shame of gay of going to see gay pornography which obviously it didn't do that um, this is just like crazy hyperbole or just complete insanity and and then it says. Um, it goes on to say, Mr. Poole's next hit, Bijou, that was his next porn, followed a construction worker who stumbles on an invitation to a private club where he joins a psychedelic bathhouse-style orgy. So, somehow this is supposed to be beneficial to the world, to the gay community, a bathhouse-style orgy. I mean, this is pre-AIDS, by the way, which we'll get to in a minute. But he said, um, and it goes on to say, then came Wakefield Pool's Bible. He did a film called Wakefield Pool's Bible, a creatively ambitious soft porn movie that reimagined tales from the Old Testament. So, you know, just, of course, just kind of this insane attack on the Bible and on Christianity and, and like subverting it into pornography is just so crazy stories from the Bible and, and making that into pornography. Those stories is, uh, is insane, but the, the film flopped praise God. And so he was Wakefield pool was frustrated with the failure of this film and he moved to San Francisco and, but then in San Francisco, his troubles got worse and he broke up with his longtime partner, his boyfriend, and he became addicted to freebasing cocaine. See, once again, I'm not, I mean, I don't make this up. Drugs, it's sex, drugs, alcohol. This, this is a common theme and thread through gay culture. And uh, it goes on to say he soon directed a documentary-like film called Take One, in which he 
interviewed men about their carnal fantasies and had them act them out on camera, engaging two brothers in one notorious moment. So that would be called incest. So it's not enough to just make pornography, but now he's doing pornography with two brothers committing incest. So, uh, the, you know, again, the New York times just loves, loves, loves this because they love anything unrighteous. They love unrighteousness. Um, and Paul talks about that in Romans, we, you know, we love unrighteousness until we come to Christ. And so I, I understand that. I understand. I mean, I loved unrighteousness and not even really knowing it was unrighteous. Uh, before I came to Christ and praise God. I mean, he intervened in my life and I, I, I don't know. I can't, I'm going to cry if I think about it. Um, and then the AIDS crisis had begun and the carefree gay paradise depicted in his, in Wakefield pools, original movie suddenly felt a world away. And he says, Wakefield Poole says, the reason I stopped making films was the AIDS situation. And he said, I lost my fan base to AIDS. I saw them all die. It's a miracle I'm not dead. He says, cocaine saved my life. I did so much coke, I couldn't have sex. So again, the drug thing, and it's like bizarre, like cocaine saved his life. Um just it's just such an upside down world and and in 2010 wakefield pool was 74 years old and he did a he went back to the pines and did a screening of his of of uh boys boys in the sand of his first gay porn film and it was a packed auditorium and uh he the the the, guy, the writer of the article says he helped transform the pines into an international gay destination and um and at the very end he says of this article the right he he says wakefield pool says when i first came to fire island i felt free for the first time in my life i didn't feel like a minority and i wanted everyone to suddenly feel that so i said i can make a movie that no one will be ashamed to watch Again, there's that word shame or ashamed. And it's, again, Romans 1, suppressing the truth. Because when you suppress the truth, the more you do it, the less shame you feel. Which is what I did in my life. Um, And so, the last, by the way, in, in the New York Times, whether, whatever it is, whatever, if it's an obituary or just a regular article about news, a news article... You can always tell the writer's bias by the last paragraph of the article. You can, you always, because that, that, the way they leave the article is how they feel about the whole, the whole subject. And so again, you can tell that, um, so this, the, the last paragraph indicates or betrays the writer's editorial stance or bias. So in other words, he, the, he affirms gay porn 100%. And I'll re, I'm going to reread the last paragraph. He says, when I, he, he's quoting Wakefield Poole, and he says, Wakefield Poole says, when I first came to Fire Island, I felt free for the first time in my life. 
I didn't feel the, like a minority and I wanted everybody to suddenly feel that. So I said, I can make a movie that no one will be ashamed to watch. So see, do you see what the writer is doing there? He's leaving the audience, the reader, he's leaving the reader, reader with this, this kind of quote unquote powerful statement of we don't need to be ashamed as a culture. We don't need to be ashamed. If you're a gay man, you don't need to be ashamed to watch gay porn or to engage in homosexual behavior. So it's clear the, the writer of this article is celebrating not only this man's life, but what he did in his life and gay pornography and even incest because, you know, it's like, the New York Times loves to to see the envelope pushed as much as possible because the more the envelope is pushed, the more subversive the topic or the more subversive the behavior, the more uh, people can people who are in the dark can feel comfortable being in the dark, and people who are living an unrighteous life can feel comfort by in living that unrighteous life. So it, it, it just, it gives credence or it gives um, validity, I guess, to, to living that life and to watching porn. I remember one of my best friends back in, you know, in the nineties in LA, he, he actually said this like he because this was a time when AIDS was still very much a death sentence HIV if you know it was very dangerous and he would watch porn all the time and his whole kind of defense of it or his um the way he framed it was it's better to watch porn than to go out and meet a guy and risk getting HIV that was his, that was his rationale about it. And I always thought that was very crazy and interesting the way he rationalized watching porn. So three things, there's three things I want to just leave with you. Number one, the reason I'm even discussing this is because this story will probably become a documentary or even a feature film on HBO or Netflix celebrating this man's life and that's going to further blind the christian world to the truth because i I, every little every little you know tv show or movie or documentary that celebrates this uh celebrates homosexual behavior slowly chips away at uh, Christians conviction about this, about this issue. And we see, I mean, we, I talk about this all the time. We see it in the church all the time. I mean, there's so many people in the church who, and even leaders in the church who are becoming, they're like, huh, I guess it's fine. I guess homosexual behavior is fine. And they start to become gay affirming completely, um, going against the word of God. And it's so, so dangerous. Not only is it, it's not only is it dangerous temporally, (laughs) it's dangerous eternally. And that's why it's not, 
I, I don't want to talk about this stuff because of it's like I'm I want to pile on gay gay men or I don't I don't want to just hate them it's because I love them it's because I, I want it's like Paul Paul when he talks about um I can't remember the verse but he talks about you know basically I would give up my salvation if only my fellow Jews would come to Christ it's I feel the same way I feel the same way about the gay community it's like I feel like I would give up my salvation if they would just come to know the Lord because there's nothing more satisfying, nothing more amazing, incredible and life-giving and eternal, you know, eternal life-giving. So I just, that's number one. Number two, this, this article and as I said, this, this uh, potential movie, because the reason I say it's going to become a movie is, um, this is another topic, which I'm going to get into probably next time, but Colton Underwood, the bachelor, he, uh, I've never seen the show, but it's obviously a very popular show. And he was a very popular bachelor and he came out as gay. And now there is, a Netflix, I guess it's, is it Netflix? Um, a Netflix documentary or reality show on him. So, yeah. So again, I, I can almost guarantee you that this is this story about Wakefield pool will become a documentary or a movie. And if it, if it becomes a movie, <laughs> someone's going to win an Academy award. Just, just wait, just watch. You'll see. And then, so it's going to have this huge influence on not only culture, but on the church and on Christians and further blind the culture, further blind Christians to the the truth. And that's what, you know, again, it's like, I always say this, I'm not mad at gay people because there, but for the grace of God go I, like I used to live that life. And I, I, all I have is compassion and love for, for people in that, in the because I, they're trapped. They're trapped in that community. I was trapped for so many years. I was trapped, and praise God that people prayed for me. And, um, and I just. And the third point is just that more. Yeah, I just feel like more Christians, it, like I said, are going to cave to the culture, and buy the lie, buy this lie because of the power of the, of the storytelling and the power of just these stories, even in the New York times, it just constantly chips away at our biblical convictions and we need to be on alert, which is the last thing I'm going to say about this. And first Peter five, eight, Peter warns us as believers, he says, be sober minded. Your adversary, the devil, prowls, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So, again, Satan is prowling around and he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy me. And he's using this issue. He's winning on this issue, as I always say. He's winning on this issue because he's got an entire culture completely blinded and confused about this about homosexual behavior, about even pornography. And because by the way, I mean, most TV shows and movies on Netflix, newest, newer ones made in the last 10, 20 years, even before that, 
but most of the shows now on Netflix or HBO or uh, what are some other streaming places anyway are basically softcore porn. I mean, there's there's pornography in every TV show now, like and and we don't even see it as pornography because we're we're so kind of numb to it at this point. But it's literally showing two people having sex. <laughs> so that's pornography by definition. And um, so I just wanted to to address this this article and just remind remind myself, remind you guys that we are we're aliens in this world, and we are citizens of heaven, and we we have to be set apart from, you know, the norms of this world, the mores, the sexual mores of this world. We have to be different from that. And the last thing I'll say is because obviously this is, you know, a huge part of my salvation is we need to pray for the gay community. We need to really, I really hope that you guys will help join me in that because I, you know, when I first got saved, I spent so much time praying for the gay community and for friends of mine in that community. And I kind of, in recent, in the recent past, I've kind of sort of fallen away from, from praying with that for those people. And, um, but I need to get back to that. And I, I hope you'll join me in praying for people and because they're lost and we're all lost until we're found by Christ you know, we're all, you know, we're, we all have to remember that it's because of the grace of God that we're in his kingdom. It's, you know, it's not our own works. And so we have to remember that. And so please join me in praying for the gay community because it's easy to, to just get angry at them and bash them and, you know, get mad. But it, that's the easy way. But the hard thing to do is to actually, you know, uh, spend time in prayer and spend time praying for those who are lost, especially in the, in this community. Cause it's a, it's a particularly, um, dark, dark world. And I've talked about this so many times before, but it's a particularly dark world. And I just want people in that community to see the light and see the love of Jesus and to experience the extraordinary uh, just the, the extraordinary reality of being in a relationship with the King of the universe and having eternal life. So that's where I'm going to leave it. Uh, I'll probably do, uh, something on Colton Underwood next time, but have a happy new year and I will see you in 2022. Wow. 2021 went by fast. See you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Beckett Cook Show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of The Beckett Cook Show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com.
tired of parenting advice and news headlines that are more confusing than assembling IKEA furniture, we've got just the podcast for you. My dear friend Abby and I are here to help you navigate the parenting roller coaster. Should your kids be on social media? What should you tell a friend facing an unplanned pregnancy? These are just some of the many questions we tackle on our podcast. Subscribe to The Real Deal of Parenting wherever you find your podcast.